Welcome to the sixth episode in a podcast series brought to you by the International Arbitration Group at Denton. With more than 40 partners and 120 lawyers, our group is widely recognized globally, trusted by corporations, states, and high net worth individuals for their most challenging international arbitration matters. In the last episode, we looked at developments in the types of disputes seen in the oil and gas industry and what lies ahead for both international commercial and investor state arbitration in that sector. Today, we want to look at the developments and advancement of virtual hearings. My name is Rachel Howie, and I'll be your host today. I am a co-lead of the Arbitration Group in Canada. Today, I am pleased to welcome my partners, Mike Schaeffler and Alistair Young. Mike is based in Toronto. He has a significant domestic and international arbitration practice and experience in particular in the mining and financial service industry. Alistair is the office managing partner of Denton's Dubai office. He leads the Middle East disputes practice and has a particular expertise in the resolution of engineering and construction disputes. Thank you both for being here today. Arbitrations have continued to progress and new matters have been initiated in the last several months. For the most part, international arbitration have been concluded through video conference. Uh, Mike and Alistair, have you had any virtual hearings in the last six months? Well, Rachel, thank you. And the short answer is yes, we have. Um, and in fact, we just concluded uh, oral arguments uh, in August uh, in an ICC arbitration uh, before a single arbitrator. It involved a uh, dispute uh, over US $50 million. Um, Ontario law applied, the seat was Toronto, and we had seven witnesses, uh, two in Colombia, three in Toronto, one in the UAE, and one in the Dominican uh, Republic. We had seven hearing days for the evidence, and we had one oral argument day. Uh, and I have a, a few more comments, but I'll ask Alistair to, to jump in as well with his experience. Yeah, uh, in the Middle East, we've done um, uh, a number of uh, hearings, both uh, merits-based and uh, uh, procedural. Uh, we've done uh, four uh, uh, procedural uh, uh, hearings uh, since the, the world's um, changed due, due to COVID. And the team's done one uh, three-week hearing on a dispute in a uh, GCC country in, in relation to the construction uh, of a metro where the uh, sum in, in dispute was uh, over a billion uh, US. So, um, you know, we have had uh, a lot of experience um, in, in circumstances which uh, have been anything but normal. Uh, Rachel, I was just going to add the hearing that we just completed was preceded by a number of contested motions and interestingly, I think, for our audience, one of the issues arose just as the uh, COVID pandemic descended upon us and our hearing was to have started live uh, in person, that is in Toronto, an issue arose as to the arbitrator's jurisdiction to order a fully virtual hearing under the ICC rules. And uh, the arbitrator ultimately ruled that the rules did provide for such jurisdiction and one of the things he referred to was a fairly, and I would say surprisingly well-developed body in the uh, Canadian common law system where judges have had an opportunity to comment on virtual trials. And uh, I'll just quote a few things uh, from one of the decisions that the arbitrator referred to, to give you an idea, because Alistair and I are gonna talk a little bit more about what it's like to do a virtual hearing in a moment. But 
Here the arbitrator quoted from an earlier judicial decision, and I read, seeing the witness full face on in color and live in a conference facility is arguably as good or better than seeing the same witness obliquely from one side, as is the case in our traditional courtrooms. Uh, and he went on to comment. And this was a theme that the arbitrator carried on through in his decision. And if you picture a high definition TV screen with the arbitrator on the left-hand side of your screen and the witness on the right-hand side, you can see immediately how one is able to assess the witness's credibility under cross-examination and the arbitral tribunal's reaction to the witness's testimony. So we can talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but uh, it was a very interesting experience in, in my view. Well, and that, that is a good point. It leads into the next question I, I had for you and Alistair, which is whether there are any situations or issues that may be less amenable to a virtual hearing. Let me start first, Rachel. Uh, and it may be somewhat surprising because I had the task of arguing that the arbitrator did not have jurisdiction to order a virtual hearing. I have to say that um, I've come around full circle uh, and of course, after the experience um, that we just had, am a believer that um, a virtual hearing is at least as good uh, as a hearing in person. I know Alistair has some comments on that and I'll cede the floor to him for a moment. Thanks, Michael. You know, I do, I do have some concerns uh, regarding the, the merits hearing in uh, arbitration. So I think for all procedural hearings, um, save the most uh, unusual circumstances, they can be done by video conference. And I can't see when the world returns to some degree of normality, us going back to doing procedural hearings by anything other than uh, uh, video hearings, which to be honest, we were all, uh, already doing in the majority of cases. But I do think um, there, uh, we need to consider the, uh, the, the position of the client in all of this. And you know, not only must justice be done, but it must be seen and be felt to be done. And I think there is a concern, which certainly I share, and a number of other practitioners that I've spoken to share, that a client could come away from a virtual hearing um, in circumstances where highly contested issues of fact, perhaps around you know, integrity and honesty, where the, um, if you like, the seeing the whites of the eyes of the person that's been cross-examined in the room by the cross-examiner is important. And things may get missed via a, uh, a video-based uh, uh, hearing, perhaps in terms of, of, of demeanor and body language. And uh, I think that clients could, where those issues are in play, think notwithstanding the fact that the, there may be no difference in the result ultimately achieved, that uh, justice uh, has not necessarily uh, been done. But we've also seen that where we have um, three um, arbitrator tribunals, it can be quite difficult to uh, monitor the, re the reaction of all three arbitrators whilst looking at the uh, witness uh, being cross-examined and also keeping an eye on what your client uh, is, is doing um, on a video setup. You know, we have found that 
you know, advocates have found that to be a challenge. But that said, you know, hearings for which deal with issues of law, um, expert evidence, which, which, which are quite scripted and taken very sequentially, or, or via uh, hot tubbing, I think that, that they are very suitable to uh, uh, video conferencing. Uh, and it's likely that when the, the world uh, returns to normal, which hopefully will be soon, uh, we will see many more of those done by video conference uh, than were done previously. But I do suspect that um, the uh, in industry will drift back to a substantial proportion and likely the majority of merits-based hearings being done in person. May I offer a differing view? Of course. I think that uh, virtual hearings are here to stay. Um, there are uh, a number of reasons why I believe that. I, I want to come back to, to uh, the point about uh, credibility issues. Uh, and generally, um, I guess there's always been this um, belief by uh, uh, trial lawyers and arbitration uh, lawyers alike that it's really important to quote, read the room, close quote, or study the quote unquote body language of the witness. Um, and I personally, and frankly, had those concerns um, as we were uh, embarking on this virtual hearing that we've been talking about. In the end, with the available technology, I found it easier, in fact, uh, to be able to read how the witness was reacting uh, to uh, a full day, uh, in one case, of cross-examination where credibility was, in fact, the key issue. And um, the benefit was having the arbitrator in the window next to the witness. And uh, we'll come to some of the other technological uh, uh, um, considerations in a moment, but having the witness and the arbitrator uh, next to each other. One was able to assess, I was able to assess immediately whether the witness was in fact lying or not and how the arbitrator was perceiving the witness's evidence. Now, let me add a caveat. We don't have the award yet. Uh, we are told it's imminent. Uh, I might change my opinion one more time. And along those lines, uh, Mike and Alistair, are there any other lessons learned uh, that uh, you've discovered in the course of your virtual hearing experience over the last few months? Um, well, there's a shopping list of things that, that one might not have ordinarily thought about. You mentioned it earlier. Um, and, and in fact, the ICC came out with a, a virtual hearing protocol in, in April of this year, just as we were fighting the jurisdictional issue that, that we've been discussing. So having a very tight protocol and a procedural order that we lays down the markers uh, is, is essential because uh, you don't want to leave anything to any technological doubt. Um, once you've done that, uh, some of the other key considerations are preparation, preparation, preparation. If it took you 10 hours to prepare for an in-person hearing on a particular issue, it will now take you 20 hours, guaranteed, because you have to rehearse with your team Alistair mentioned it earlier, you need to have an internal communication mechanism. We used the WhatsApp uh, group chat. I had it on my iPhone, which was to the right of my notes that were in front of me as we were proceeding in cross-examination. 
that allowed me to get instant feedback from the group. And I had a colleague sitting uh, to my right who had his own laptop and his own large screen uh, in front of him. And of course, Rachel, you were my partner in crime. You were sitting in your basement in Calgary uh, giving feedback as well and doing your own cross-examination, all of which worked uh, fine. Uh, we had a service provider, Arbitration Place Virtual, who were excellent. And so not only was it an institutional arbitration, which may have helped, I think, we also had an institution that was providing the technology solutions and that, that was very helpful. You need to consider still basic things like exclusion orders. You need to make sure there's breakout rooms, even in the virtual world. And you need to make sure that the witnesses who are under cross-examination aren't contaminated somehow and so you need to make sure that they have the appropriate um, uh, virtual rooms so that nobody can speak to them while they're still being uh, cross-examined. Um, Alistair, uh, any, any points of view to add to that? Yeah, our, our experience of doing uh, hearings, you know, our, I think our top two tips would be make sure you've got effective means of communication um, for certain groups of people. So, you know, an, an internal, um, communication ring, if you like, for, for the lawyers, um, and then, you know, an expanded one for uh, lawyers and experts, and then maybe uh, another expanded one for lawyers and, and clients, and then a, perhaps an, a, a key uh, a communication ring of, of lead partner and uh, instructing clients, so, so you know exactly which, which and we use WhatsApp, which WhatsApp group, you know, to go to, you know, to get, to get the answer to a specific question. Uh, uh, otherwise, it, it can be quite difficult and there is a risk of cross-contamination. And the, the other uh, thing we found very useful was to make sure that the breakouts um, are, provi are provided by a provider other than the provider that, that's doing the arbitration itself. So there is absolutely no risk of anybody logging in to a breakout room which either has the tribunal in it or the other side in it uh, 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 without um, you, you knowing. Um, and, and the best way to do that is just to have a, a different provider. And that, that seems to be a, a pretty foolproof way. But those would be the two, two things we uh, focus on. And it's all about ease and speed of, of communication. Uh, Rachel, I was just gonna add one, one thing. Um, that, that uh, Alistair touched upon, and that is, that has to do uh, with uh, uh, documents um, and the, the choreographing and the sequencing of the documents and how the hearing actually then unfolds um, as you're taking the witness through the documents. Sometimes, especially in cross-examination, as we, we uh, invariably have experienced in our lives, the witness doesn't exactly proceed down the garden path that you're trying to lead them and so you need to work a little harder to get them uh, down that path. And, it's, and that can result in a situation where there's a pause where uh, you're looking for the right document to put to the witness. Because typically what we did was we set up our document sequence uh, uh, in our own um, uh, a database, and then we had it bookmarked. And so whoever was running the cross-examination uh, on the document sequencing knew what the next question was going to be in each case and was able then to go to the bookmark. But what if, what if you couldn't go straight to the bookmark? You don't want the tribunal and the witness to sit there while when you're sharing your screen, uh, the person is running through all the documents. It's very distracting. Uh, so we learned that there's a little trick 
you put the share screen on pause and then uh, you don't see anything on the screen except for the people uh, that are waiting. And that's a clean way to bridge uh, any potential um, interruptions in the sequencing. So that, that was one thing that worked well in our case. That's excellent. Thank you very much, Mike and Alistair, for sharing these insights with us. Our next session will be posted in a few weeks. Denton's is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Denton's.com for legal notices. Thank you.